0: Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm super excited about today's guest, Brandon Quirk, because I'm excited about a new project that USA Cycling has recently announced. It is a National Mountain Biking Center in Bentonville, Arkansas. Why am I excited about this? Because, to be honest, I would love to see the U.S., is a perennial powerhouse in mountain biking again. I feel like the sport started here in the United States with the likes of like Gary Fisher, Joe Breeze, Charlie Kelly, and the rest of the repack guys on Mount Tam. And then, of course, the early racers like Ned Overend, John Tomac, Dave Weens, and Susan Dimate, Julie Furtado, and of course, Tinker Juarez. They all grew up in the United States, and holy moly! Just a season ago, Christopher Blevins was the first American to win a World Cup since Tinker won in 1997, and that is far too long. And we've only had two Olympic medalists in mountain biking, ever, Susan DiMattei and Georgia Gold. So it seems high time for us to reclaim the glory. So I reached out to USA Cycling to talk with somebody about this new mountain biking center in Bentonville. I was stoked that the desk my request landed on was none other than the president and CEO of our favorite sports' national governing body, Brendan Quirk. Brendan was kind enough to carve out an hour for us, and in that hour we talk about much more than mountain biking. I couldn't spend an hour with the head dude of USAC and not ask about the health and futures of some of the other cycling disciplines. And now it's time to get to our conversation. So brew yourself a cup of chain and spoke coffee and settle in. This is Brendan Quirk, CEO of USA Cycling. Brendan Quirk, I first of all, thanks for coming on. And I kind of can't believe that it's you that I got. I sent a note to USAC to talk about the new mountain bike center in Bentonville. And yeah. dude, I get the CEO, that's awesome. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing
1: great, I'm doing great. You know, 2022 was a great year and uh, got a little rest over Christmas break and you know, we've hit the ground running. You know, we got cross worlds right around the corner and uh, like a week and a half and it's, um, we're back full swing.
0: We are back full swing. Before we d- dive into full swing, uh, I kind of want to Get to know you a little bit and your background. Interesting fact, you and I got our USAC license, no, sorry, USCF license in the same year, 1986. Uh, It would have been fun to think about uh, if we'd lined up together, but you were a little younger than me, so I doubt we did. What was racing like for you in 1986? What got you into it?
1: Yeah, kind of children of Greg LeMond, sort of, in that sense, I think
0: why did you get your license in 1986 and what got you started in it
1: yeah well you know I think I was probably like a lot of people you know just uh kind of by pure accident had the tv on on a Saturday afternoon and lo and behold ran across the CBS coverage of the Tour de France it's Greg LeMond battling this guy right here uh Bernard and um you know I was just a a knuckleheaded 15 year old in Arkansas. I'd never seen a mountain before. Uh, Certainly never seen a bike race before. And I just I watched this thing on TV and it was like, uh, you know, it was like a light bulb. I mean, like a thousand light bulb moment. It wasn't just a light bulb moment. It was uh, was like the light bulb factory went off. I was like, oh, my God, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And um, went and bought a bike, did my first bike race in uh, some tennis shoes and got annihilated, but fell in love with the sport and been, you know, chasing bike stuff ever since. You know, was raced as a junior, raced in college, raced as a grown-up, raced as masters. Um, you know, I just I love it. Love the sport and love the beauty of it, love the tradition of it, love the just love the spectacle. I still you know, still every year at Paris Roubaix when they hit the Ehrenberg Forest, like I almost get tears in my eyes. I love the sport so much.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's a passionate fan. Do you still shave your legs? I don't. No? No,
1: so I did, um, I was out riding, I'll tell you when I stopped, It's 2017, and I uh, was out, I worked for Rafa for a while, and we did a big event out in Boulder in 2017, and we were going to go do peak-to-peak with a big group, and we were ripping through Lions, I don't know if you've ridden much around Boulder, but Lions is kind of one of the last places you hit before you start climbing and they had just, they were repaving the road. And so it was really, really bad scored up kind of pavement. Guy in front of me, just kind of got sideways crashed. We're going pretty fast. I hit really hard, hit my head, broke my hand. And um, you know, broken hand, I couldn't shave my face much less my legs. Mm. And so legs went hairy. I was in a cast for about three months and I just never shaved him again. So
0: one less chore. I gotta admit, like one of the reasons I still carry a USAC license is for the excuse to shave my legs.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Sometimes I miss it, but a lot of times I don't. So,
0: yeah, do you still strap a number on?
1: Last time I raced was two. It was right before COVID. It was, I guess, the winter of eighteen nineteen. I did a pretty good cyclocross campaign. Mm. Um, that's when we were. It's just, when we were going through the process, I was on the organizing committee for the Fayetteville Cyclocross World Championships. And so I was just all immersed in cyclocross as we were working on that project. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do a whole cross campaign. So I did it that year, eighteen nineteen. I didn't do it the winter right before COVID. And no, I have not raced, I've, you know, I've done some gra- gravel races, rule of three, stuff like oh. that. But as far as like, you know, hardcore road racing, mountain bike racing, cross racing, it's been been a few years.
0: Yeah. You uh, still split your time between Bentonville or not? I don't know if you live in Bentonville. You're from Arkansas. Where in Arkansas? I'm
1: from, I'm from Arkansas. I'm from Little Rock. You know, I worked in Bentonville for about four years. And when I took this job at USA Cycling, I moved from Bentonville back home to Little Rock uh, for a variety of reasons, mostly family reasons. Um, but still get up to Bentonville a bunch, still ride my bike up there. It's where all my best riding friends are. And, uh, yeah, I love being up there when, when I can, when I can get up there.
0: Dig it. Well, there's a lot of news in Bentonville, the, uh, mountain bike capital of the world. And, and I may ask you to defend that, um, <laughs> <laughs> defend sure. that statement. But, uh, uh, before, before we dive into the mountain bike center there, you are CEO of USA cycling and you kind of came from a, a business side of cycling. How, like, what was the road that led you to CEO-ness?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, my first job in the bike business, I think it was like 1994, 1995, you know, turning wrenches, building, you know, entry-level mountain bikes in a bike shop. Um, and I did a lot of time in a bike shop. You know, I was racing bikes, I was doing other things in life. And the beauty of the bike shop, at least back then, is you, know, you get paid cash per bike that you built, and I needed cash. And so uh, I worked my tail off trying to just you know make ends meet, uh, working in a bike shop. One thing led to another. Um, in the late 90s, started my own bike shop with a friend of mine, um, and the very abbreviated version, is um, between, let's call it 1998 and 2011, we turned this little bike shop, this little two man bike shop that was like a shoebox, box, uh, the size of a shoebox, box, right, it's tiny. Uh, we turned that into North America's biggest online, uh, you know, e-commerce site. competitive cyclist is what we built. And so I was CEO, co-founder and CEO of competitive. From when we started it, I guess officially it was like 1998, 99, so long ago, I don't even remember. We um, you know, built it like mad through 2011. In 2011, we sold it to our biggest competitor, Backcountry.com out in Park City. We moved the business from Little Rock to Park City. I moved to Park City. All of our employees did. And I served on the leadership team of Backcountry.com for a couple of years. It was part of a publicly traded company. So it's kind of cool. It was like the business school that I never went to. It's kind of a crash course of what this kind of like somewhat scaled e-commerce in that era. You know, what what are what are the things you have to do to build a great business? It's also cool because I learned a lot about the outdoor industry in general, skiing, things like that. I'd never skied, moved to Park City when I was 40. I'd never skied my whole life. Um, And there's nothing more terrifying than trying to learn skiing when you're 40. That's fair. (laughs) And um, yeah. And then from there, you know, I left there after a while, went to go work for Rafa for a few years. Uh, That was great. And then I was at Rafa, you know, ran the, the US business, did some other things with Rafa for a few years. And I was there when we sold the company to Tom and Stuart Walton in 2017. Spent a lot of time going back and forth between the US and London, because London is where the global headquarters is for Rafa. It's a lot of travel. And um, you know, I was hired to help with kind of the buildup to sell the company. And so when we sold it, it was kind of like, okay, I reached my finish line, made the decision I was gonna leave. And as I was going through that exit process, um, the Waltons asked, "They're like, hey, look, we're trying to really build this mountain bike you know, phenomenon in Northwest Arkansas. Will you come? You know, will you come help with you know develop our strategy, execute it, and let's make Arkansas amazing for mountain biking?" They had a great core group of people there, um, but you know they were just building the team, and so um, I said yes because you know I love cycling, I love Arkansas; it's my home um and you know clearly there was a lot of ambition and a lot of resources there so i leapt at the opportunity to do, to do something so creative and um did that during that spell while i was working for the waltons um then ceo of usa cycling rob Martini asked if i'd be interested in joining the board of directors um you know i've got i stayed very plugged in with the bike industry um and they thought that that industry perspective could be pretty beneficial So, I joined the board literally right before COVID. It was December of 2019, January 2020, something like that. And uh, really just quickly got very intrigued by the the business of it. Um, And, you know, chaired a committee, then became vice chairman, then became chairman of the board, and uh, just was super engaged. You know, I love. the notion of trying to grow the sport on a grassroots level all across the U.S., how complicated that is. It's a really fascinating puzzle to try to unpick. But at the same time, you know, the other part of the mission is really, it's, it's supporting the U.S. national team for great international success, you know, World Cups, World Championships, Olympic Games. And oh my God, I mean, I was just crazy for that. I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And so I was super engaged. And when um, Rob made the decision to leave USA Cycling, A little over a year ago, um, the board said, hey, you know, they asked me, would you be interested in transitioning from chairman and becoming CEO? I was already so engaged. uh, It felt like a pretty natural transition. Took me about two minutes to figure out, yeah, this is what I want to do. So I left working for the Walton family and went to start work for USA Cycling. That's exactly, I think, 13 months ago. So, um, and it has been full gas since then. And it's been a lot of fun.
0: I can only imagine it's full gas, like taking over the reins, like just as it's coming out of COVID, yeah. and uh, you know, kind of kicking the horse in the hiney and and getting it moving again. That must yeah. have been a challenge.
1: Yeah. yeah, you know, well, the challenge was the challenge was that during COVID, you know, the bike industry obviously did amazing things during COVID in terms of right. bike sales, bike participation, all of that, but the revenue model not entirely, but but the significant, the majority of the revenue of USA Cycling is is a, is a function of participation. For sure. There's no, there are no bike races, there, there's no revenue for USA Cycling and for man oh man, over 18 months, there was no bike, no no bike racing on a grassroots level. And the, the organization said, Look, you know, we, if we're smart, and we're conservative, we can survive this, we won't go bankrupt. But man, we've got to, we've got to be really, really smart with how we manage the business. And so what that meant was a lot of layoffs, a lot of furloughs, a lot of programs getting shut down and the organization just went to, to survival mode. So, you know, it, it was extremely hard on the group of people who lived through that and had to go through that process. I had the luxury of walking in after kind of the worst of it was over and it was the point now, where, OK, racing's coming back um people are starting to race again therefore there's revenue therefore we can start investing in people and programs again that's when i came in so i i saw it from a distance the carnage of of COVID. i saw it as a board member but it's very different seeing it from a board level and actually managing the company so rob demartini gets should get a lot of credit for you keeping the ship afloat and um and really we what we've done in the last 13 months is just really refocused our mission, refocused on what we're trying to achieve, and we've gotten to invest and build again. So it has been busy, but it's been fun getting in build mode as opposed to the teardown mode they were in for
0: two years. Yeah, I actually just today saw a couple of, speaking of build mode, uh, USAC uh, things, the athlete development pathway and uh, the search for speed. Yeah, uh, which means you guys are thinking in there and you're you're being creative and, and you're not it's not status quo is what that says to me. I'm glad you feel that
1: way. Yeah. Athlete Development Pathway is an expanded you know, it's building on what we already had some momentum on you know, last year it was building on mountain bike camps, in particular for juniors. There's a U23 aspect to it as well, but um, it's giving juniors an opportunity to understand what. Um, you know, advanced skill development. You know, it's give them opportunities for advanced skill development, give them race opportunities, travel opportunities, Get them a clear, give them a clear understanding what path to the national team looks like. You know, if you live in Boulder and you know, you're lucky enough to race for BJC or if you're on Bear Development or Durango Devo, you know, they're, they're amazing programs all across America that do. Um, they do the most amazing work. Um, you know, these camps, I, I think who they serve best are the kids who aren't in one of those programs and you know you look at a durango devo or a bjc or a bear you know, they can only take so many kids and there are a lot of other kids who deserve that opportunity um and that's that's what these camps are for and then search for speed is a um is a track specific programs targeted in southern california Calif- in southern california because of the, the velodrome there and it is a specific effort for us to zero in on kind of underrepresented communities in la so you know it's young black men and women young hispanic men and women we want to give them opportunities to get their first experience racing bikes the track is where the most diversity is happening in the us Uh, you look in detroit at the lexus velodrome you look at star track in new york city they're doing miraculous stuff getting uh, kids on bikes that, you know, they're not going to be riding road bikes, they're not going to be riding mountain bikes, they're not going to be racing cross. But because those tracks are right there in the city and you've got these really motivated people, not only are you getting these, um, you know, kind of typically underrepresented communities out there on the track for the first time, kind of brave enough to get out there, but actually what you're starting to see is junior national champions. is young black men and women, Hispanic men and women, that's, you know, it's it's really unbelievable diversity in action. And so we're really inspired by that. So we're trying to build that out in L.A. with the search for speed. And, you know, kind of build feed on the L.A. 28 Summer Olympics, you know, craziness going on in Southern California right now. So we're pretty excited about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I run into Nelson Vales on ragbri every year and have had yeah. the opportunity to put some miles in with him and uh it, it, that's a treat i'm sure that's a name you remember from 1984 of the, the, cheetah. the cheetah absolutely the cheetah he's a great dude he's a yeah. great dude quite a personality so that's awesome those those programs are awesome but let's talk a little bit about mountain biking um yep. one question i have is the center ending up in bentonville is that yeah. as a result of USAC saying, God, we just need a freaking mountain bike center. Where can we do it? Let's put out a bid for communities to see who wants to host this thing. Or is it a, uh, something where Bentonville's like, Hey, we got a freaking great place to ride. Why don't you guys put a mountain bike center here? Like, how did that happen? And and I I think it's
1: sort of, yeah, it's sort of a little bit of both. I mean, I think what part of our strategy is that we want to, what we have right now, for example, If you look at Chula Vista, California, kind of close to San Diego, we have a um, a, more or less a a dedicated training center for BMX race for the folks who race uh, BMX. Um, It's, you know, we have some amazing um, courses there. The guys and gals have access to off bike, um, you know, it's weight room, doctors, things like that. Um, Chula Vista is great for BMX race. We have, In Colorado Springs, we've got our home velodrome, mostly our endurance track riders are there. So it's like the pursuit, omnium riders, people like that are in Colorado Springs. And then our sprint track program has a center of gravity in Los Angeles. It's a 250 wooden velodrome there. So we already have these kind of areas of critical mass on a discipline by discipline basis. Historically, we haven't had that with cross or with road or with mountain because people just kind of go where they go. They live where they live and that's where they train. So we kind of scratched our head and thought, okay, well, is there an opportunity for us to take what what it is that we're doing in Chula Vista, Colorado Springs and L.A. and extend that to other disciplines and really provide more structured training opportunities, both for the national team, but it's also for development camps. And um, so we were in Bentonville a year ago. Uh, at the Moose Jaw, the Oz Trails race, the UCI race that uh, is going on there, and I think it was the first time that USA Cycling kind of in mass sort of descended upon Bentonville because all of our national team athletes were there. You we had all the best riders there, you know, your Chris Blevins, Kate Courtney, people like that, and it really opened up our team's eyes to the quality and the quantity of trails in Bentonville. The other thing about Bentonville that is diff- really differentiated is that it's year-round riding you know it's like yeah i would love to ride my bike in crested butte every day but guess what you're gonna ride your bike in crested butte all the trails like maybe five months out of the year right and so there is a need for year-round training there's there's a need for places where if it's raining you can still ride on the trails and the way the trails in bentonville have been built they drain really well you can ride when it's raining um and uh you know there was a real willingness by the community to be supportive of our programs and our athletes. And so we just had a good conversation about, hey, look, here are examples of what we're doing with other disciplines. Is there an example or is there, is there an opportunity to do that in Bentonville for mountain biking? So it was it was, um, you know, it's just like a, like you always have in business. It's just um, you're around smart, motivated people with kind of complementary missions. Bentonville wants to be the mountain bike capital of the world. We want to be the best mountain bike racing nation in the world at USA Cycling and it made a lot of sense to bring these two missions together. So we're going to have a small office we're going to build there. At first, I expect probably five, maybe six people this year to be uh, based in that office. But what we're going to have is our mountain bike staff is really going to be spending a lot of time in Bentonville. On the national team side, what you'll see are training camps, fitness camps, team building camps, things like that. But then what you'll see is from a junior development camp standpoint, um, you're going to see a lot of activity there because it's just, it's very, um, it's really well built for getting, you know, 20, 30 kids out there and um, getting in the miles you want, getting skills training you want, and being able to do it in a fairly affordable fashion. So uh, that's, that's really how we'll be coming to life there.
0: Uh, how does that or does that benefit the programs in? I'm going to use Des Moines, Iowa, because I'm here. Des Moines, Iowa, Madison, Wisconsin, I don't know, Indianapolis, etc. The places where there are some small kind of mountain bike communities, where there may be a, a local Devo team, or maybe not even a Devo team. Maybe there's some nascent high school action going on. Can this center benefit what's going on in the rest of the country?
1: You know, I think that I think that um, I think if there are riders in those programs who are have ambitions, you know, real ambitions as bike racers. You know, I want to be a national champion. I want to be, you know, I want to go race a World Cup, things like that. Um, or I want to have a very concentrated skill development, you know, week with national team coaches that are just exceptional at training those skills. Um, You know, I think that what we're doing in Bentonville is going to be perfect for that. What we're not going to be doing is, let's say, taking some, you know, entire team from Dallas and hosting them there. That's Mm -hmm. really not in the cards for us. But I will say Bentonville as a community, you see that all the time, though. You see these teams that show up and do training camps there and they just kind of do it of their own volition. Bentonville makes it easy. Again, it's affordable. There's an insane amount of terrain that you can ride. And um, so it just it, in a self-service way, the community does that really well already.
0: Hmm, I can see that. Do you sidebar? Do you have a favorite trail there?
2: Um,
1: yeah. yeah, it's probably the back 40. I'm not hmm. like a really technical riding is not my cup of tea. Like I came up road riding. I just, you know, I get white knuckles. So I'll go ahead and admit it. Um you know, big jump lines and things like that. It's just not my jam. Um, I like the back 40 because it's, yeah, it's a little bit marbly and loose in places, but you know, it's not like big rock gardens, big nasty, rooty stuff. Cause I just don't, that's just, I get scared.
2: I'm gonna hike, <laughs> Fair I'm enough, gonna man. hike a
1: bike. I'm gonna <laughs> hike a bike, I'll admit that. So I, uh, I'll, grip my, I'll grip my teeth on a cyclocross bike and maybe go through, you know, one section on one lap and you get used to it after a while. But the idea of going out for two hours and encountering that all the time, just to me, is exhausting because my technical skills are pretty bad.
0: <laughs> I I will not uh, say I've never hiked a bike myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. So, yeah, back
1: 40 is pretty good. And then, um, yeah, God, there's so much good. There. And then Kohler is great as well. So, yeah. Have you yeah. ridden there before? Have you ridden in Bentonville?
0: Yeah, I've been down maybe four times. Um, yeah. You know where I like is, uh, thank you, I'm wearing the hat oz cross yeah. um holy moly the trails around centennial park and then down is it kessler mountain yeah kessler's great in uh, fayetteville are so much yeah. fun like go down, stay in Bentonville, do three days in Bentonville, but make a day for Fayetteville. Yeah, Fayetteville's
1: great. There's another network there called Lake Weddington. There are a bunch of brand new trails there that are just superb. So, I mean, that's the beauty of it. You look, see, Bentonville to Fayetteville, that kind of corridor, let's say as the crow flies, is maybe like 20 miles between Mm -hmm. them. But, you know, you go from Fayetteville north into Bentonville to the Missouri border, you know, I think there's something like 400 miles of single track. I mean, it's just crazy. And you can stay in downtown Fayetteville. You don't need to get in your car. You just ride from the hotel. Same right. with Bentonville. I mean, the beauty of it is you can go for four days and except to maybe go to, you know, go to a different town to, to ride in, you um, uh, you don't need to
0: get in the car. I mean, that's what's so amazing. It is. It absolutely crazy. is amazing. I'm going
1: to let my dog in here, but you can keep talking.
0: <laughs> here we go. Um, here we go. Hey, dog. So since you kind of brought that up, how do you, and I've talked to people from all over the country who ride mountain bikes all over the country, and yeah. I'm like, Bentonville is calling itself the mountain bike capital of the world. Like, what do yeah. you think of that? So justify Bentonville calling yeah. itself the mountain bike capital of the world.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, look, I think it's an aspirational tagline. I think um, I think where it is the mountain bike capital of the world, or it's, you know, an amazing I think the place where it really stands out is that um, if you are a family with a group of people with different skill capabilities, I, I think it's got to be, you know, I, I mean, I haven't ridden my mountain bike everywhere, but um, it has got to be one of the best places in the world to ride a bike because the abundance of, to use some ski lingo, the abundance of green, fun, green trails, not like boring green trails, but green trails, green trails that you and I would enjoy riding because it just got enough spice to them. Um, The abundance of trails so that everybody can have an amazing experience. I mean, that's so critical to the strategy of how they're trying to develop the the trail networks. I've never ridden in the kingdom trails. I've heard that, you know, by reputation, that's sort of a similar environment there as well, where it's really accessible to riders of lots of skill, um, skill abilities. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I lived in Park City, and man, oh, man, I love riding my bike there and I love being there. But, man, it's, you know, a, it's a lot of climbing. It's, you know, it's hard riding out there in the mountains. And if you're new to riding, it's a challenge. And so, um, you know, it's not necessarily, if you're an advanced rider, Park City's a dream. But, you know, if you're family and, and you know, you have a variety of needs, it, maybe it's a little bit less of a dream. And I think that's where Bentonville really, um, really sings. But look, it's an aspirational title. I would say that look, five years ago, people hadn't even heard of Bentonville before. Right. Um, that was a big project. Right when I got there, how do we create awareness? How do we get, tempt people? How do we tantalize people to come and visit the first time? Um, now everybody knows about it. Um, it's you know top one of the top mountain bike destinations in America. What I would suggest is five years from now, I can only imagine what it's going to be like and will it be able to really say, oh, heck yeah, we're the mountain bike capital of the world. I mean, I, I think the answer is very highly likely to be yes. But yeah, I, I agree, you know, with the conventional wisdom, it's an aspirational um, claim now. But again, based on you know how much ground the community has traveled in the last five years, um, I, I just I can't wait to see what's coming
0: that's a great answer. And, uh, I respect that answer fully. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, let's go back to mountain biking and I kind of want to dive into this in several disciplines. I, I I assume, and you so much has said so that the desired outcome is, uh, world and Olympic champions coming out of the United States, uh, one year, five years, what would that be, nine years, uh, you know, every four years or whatever. Um, how would you today rate the state of mountain biking in the U.S.? And I wanted to look at it from two angles. One is at the highest level of competition, and then the other is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, like at the local grassroots level. How healthy is the sport of mountain biking? Yeah,
1: I, I think mountain biking – I think you're looking at it the right way right? so we always look at everything through the lens of grassroots and through the lens of elite sports performance right over here is a kid doing you know their first NYCO race their first junior USA cycling race your first little Bellas event whatever it might be and then over here it's you know it's Chris Blevins, it's um, you know it's Haley Batten, it's those people. And when, when, you look at, when you look at both of those, um, when you look at through those two lenses together, I think mountain biking in the U.S. right now is stronger than it has ever been. Um, clearly on a grassroots level, um, what NICA has done is just crazy. I mean, they they're keep announcing new leagues. It's growing, growing, growing. They just announced Mississippi like two days ago. It's 30 you know, something leagues. The all It seems like most of the challenges for NICA, it's just this monumental growth. How do they scale when the growth is so incredible? Uh, you look at, at um, I think, the resurgence of IMBA. You look at how local communities are clamoring for, they, they understand that building mountain bike trails can be transformational for the economic development of communities that maybe don't have other drivers for economic development. I think it's a huge opportunity for rural communities um, to build uh, tourism and build an identity. I mean, look, that's what Bentonville did. Sure. That's what so many other communities are doing, and it's um, it's fabulous. So I think on a grassroots level, when you look at the junior racing, you look at it through tourism and economic development, there's so much momentum. Then on the elite side, I mean, look, you've got Chris Blevins is a world champion last year. Uh, he should have been world champion at the short track this year. He was just he was so ambitious and he was just first first place or hell with it. in that short track race, he could have, he could have gotten that silver medal in the short track. No problem. He's like, uh, uh-uh, I'm here to win it. And he was so aggressive, he crashed he broke his bike and he got 17th with 200 meters to go. Right. So Chris Blevins, um, one of the greatest mountain bikers in the world, Haley Batten, um, you know, a medalist at, um, world championship this year in the cross country. You've got, you know, um, you know, Gwendolyn Gibson got, uh, a bronze in the short track. Uh, she is, she's probably the superstar story. The kind of the big breakout story of 2022 was her world cup win at snowshoe, her victory, her, her third place, um, in Leger. And then you look at U23 you got guys, you know, like Riley Amos, you've got, you know, Maddie Monroe. Um, you have got so many other kids who are just spectacular, and then behind that is just this army of junior kids that um, I put them up against anybody in the world. But you look at like the 2028 LA Olympics, the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. We are going to kick everybody's ass because we are building junior mountain bikers like nobody else, and I think we're just, just, we're just so close to seeing the impact of that U23 and elite now. I think your Paris Olympics would be interesting to see what happens. Somebody like Haley or Gwen absolutely should get a medal. Chris Blevins should absolutely get a medal. But you look at LA 28, we should sweep the podium the way that the Swiss did in Tokyo. Uh, and I think that's the direction we're heading. So I am excited, optimistic. I think we're really taking the mantle back of mountain biking is an American sport. And we're going to freaking own it in global racing, uh, hands down. So Swiss formidable. Europe is formidable, but we have this young generation coming through that is going to be amazing.
0: Hmm, That's awesome. I literally got goosebumps with you saying that, and Mm. I can tell you're passionate about it. You believe that for sure. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. It'll be fun to watch. Super fun to watch.
1: Yeah, it's fun to watch now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It
0: is fun to watch now, for sure. Are you kidding me? Watching the World Cups last summer was great.
1: Well, and you know what I love, too, is just I, I, the, I would say one of the things that I have been most excited about has been um, the, the elevation of short track cross country. Yeah. I, I think short track cross country, you look at every possible discipline of bike racing there is across road, mountain, track, BMX, this, that and the other. I would say short track mountain biking is one of the two or three most exciting disciplines to watch. Bar none across any um, any discipline within cycling, and I think that's just going to continue to drive the popularity of the sport. Now that Discovery is very invested in the World Cup and how that's going to be broadcast, I think the value of the World Cup is going to continue to explode, which means more and more great athletes are going to they're going to stay in mountain biking instead of jumping over to the road. And I just think it's um, there's just this amazing. 10-year window in front of us of what the mountain bike world cup is going to turn into i just can't wait Mm,
0: that's awesome yeah the uh, short track is like an explosion of of speed and thrills and chills for 20 minutes it's just it's an amazing thing to watch it's so fun the
1: best yeah i agree
0: uh okay you brought up the word road so let's let me ask the same question in road Local yeah. level and elite level. What's the health of the road scene in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, local level is really tough. Like you know, I'm master of the obvious, right? Everybody knows it. You know, road is um, road is. Uh, it's it's bouncing back. I think it's it's not at the low water mark. I think it hit the low water mark. You know, two thousand right before COVID, and then coming out of COVID, um, you know, we're starting to see some interesting signs. Uh, in road, particularly in the U.S., less in the stage race and road race side, but it's more in the criterion scene. Um, we're starting to see some promising signs. You go back to the beginning of time, road cycling participation is always cyclical. just It's just the way it is. And and we, you know, post Lance Armstrong, there was this, you know, glide path down. after Glide his, path? Uh, you know,
0: don't you mean a cliff we jumped off of
1: Uh, it it really wasn't a cliff i mean it wasn't like "Eh, but it was it was it was a steep glide path that really kind of bottomed out i think right before covid um what i think what you're seeing is a lot of people getting into cycling for the first time through gravel Mm -hmm. they're then being curious about diversifying into different disciplines right cyclists are notorious for being promiscuous across disciplines, right? I'm going <laughs> to yeah. ride my mountain bike today, my cross bike tomorrow, my gravel bike the next day. I think a lot of people who discovered cycling through gravel, um, just like any other form of cycling after a while, it can become tedious. I love riding my bike, but I'm just kind of bored at these trails. I'm bored with this road ride. The set of road rides that I do. So I'm just going to hop on a different bike and do some different stuff. I think what you're seeing is a lot of gravel folks are um, they're, I would say testing the waters with road cycling. And look, when you, I, I, I would still say nothing, no experience you can have on a bike is as intoxicating as a fast group ride on a road bike. It is like flying, it's social, it's fun. Um, if you're riding someplace where there are not a lot of cars, it's just, you kind of take that out of the picture. And it's just, there's a reason why it's the cornerstone of global cycling, just the feeling you get is a human being with that speed um, is just like nothing else, and uh, I think that is its greatest strength. But yeah, it's it's in a tough spot now. Criterium Racing is doing okay, so I, I'm I and we are seeing that that again a little bit of transfer from gravel into road. Now on an elite level, I, I think it's in the best place for the U.S. that it's been since the days of U.S. Postal. Um, you look at both of the, and, and the thing that's exciting is both on the men's side and the women's side. Now that women's road cycling is a is a real, you know, it's a genuine, it's, it's becoming a genuinely respected sport by the people who need to respect it. The UCI, the ASO, the other event organizers. Uh, it is, you know, with the advent of the Women's Tour de France, Women's Paris-Roubaix, Women's Tour of Flanders, so on and so forth. Um, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time on the women's side. You look at I would say five out of the seven men, the US men who raced in the Tour de France this year, I mean, they were freaking in the mix of that race. And you have not seen that from US men in a long, long time. Correct. So, you know, I am I am excited. And you know, you get lucky, Brandon McNulty goes and you know, wins the Tour de France or something, something like that happens. I think that will do, you know, that will do a lot to really kindle even more interest in road cycling. So uh some people want to say road cycling's dead. It's definitely not dead. Um gravel has a lot of energy, but that energy is eventually going to bleed into all other disciplines.
0: Talk about the NCL and the yeah. USAC's relationship with the NCL. And NCL is the National Cycling League that just announced today, I think, their four dates and locations and of their big races. Yeah. yeah What's your relationship with that?
1: Yeah, we're a big fan of theirs. We've had great dialogue um, with Paris and the team at the NCL since, you know, well before they announced it. I think the, the best analogy, let me make an analogy, for, for those of you, for folks who are listening who might know a thing or two about professional golf, and you look at the controversy that happened between the PGA Tour and Live Golf, for people who don't know what Live Golf is, it's this um, kind of this upstart, disruptive, professional golf league um heavily funded by um you know S- saudi money sent loads of money to buy players to join their league and the way they approached it was just they absolutely went into scorched earth mode with the pga tour they wanted to destroy the pga tour and they kind of came out gloves on wanting to fight from the beginning and that just creates lots of bad feelings amongst everybody and it doesn't make anybody want to play golf as far as i know so the ncl um, kind of similar in a certain sense. It's this sort of insurgent league. Uh, it's well capitalized. They kind of want to upset uh, or upend some convention to make this, the sport of road cycling more exciting and more appealing, especially to young people. But the way they went about it was completely the opposite of live golf. The way they went about it is how do we work with the existing community of events? Uh, teams, how do we work with USA Cycling and the UCI to make it so? This is a huge benefit to everybody if we're successful. And it was all about building bridges instead of burning them down. It was all about making connections. And there so a lot of people who are rooting for them. Um, so they, we are working with them in terms of supporting and sanctioning their races. Um, you know, we are supporting their club or their teams and um it's a very amicable relationship and i'll be there in miami in april for their kickoff race and i'm excited because i think it's you know bike racing is bike racing i've been to a million bike races in my life um what i'm really excited about is everything surrounding it what the coverage is going to be like and all the forms of innovation that they've suggested they're going to try to bring to bear that's what i'm really excited to see but we're pulling for them we're excited
0: huh cool good to hear well, let's uh, let's stay on the road, but uh, more of a dirty one. Uh, how about gravel and and what? Yep. I mean, gravel is obviously king in the U.S. and and uh, but I don't like. I'm trying to think of the last gravel race that I had to have a USAC license for. It's, what's the relationship with USAC with gravel? And I know there was yep. a Grand I've put on gravel races. We did them yeah. as Grand Fondos. But it's a different beast than your criterium or your road race
1: it is it is you know right now um our focus on gravel it's really it's so no you know a lot of these gravel events really no gravel event you need a license for but the the relationships that we have are with event promoters we actually sanction a whole lot of gravel races uh what sanctioning means you have to take a step back um Gravel is new. You see an explosion of races, a lot of new event promoters putting on gravel events, the first bike event they've ever put on. And, you know, let's say you wake up tomorrow and you want to put on a bike race. Well, how do you do it? You know, what do you do? How do you get on the calendar? How do you work with your local community? Do you need police? Do you need fire? Do you need ambulances? How do you, you know, how do you work with the city to shut down roads if you need to do that? What does permitting look like? You know, there's a lot of stuff you need to do to be a, 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 a good member of your community and you just put on a 5K or a 10K without talking to the city, you're putting it on it. Right. It's same with bike races. So what we do is we have a whole event services department at USA Cycling where the job of those people is to support event promoters in putting on these races. We work with them to say, look, here's sort of your checklist, your framework of how you go about putting this event on. Uh, and so we're supportive with those, I would say, uh, learning materials. We're there to talk to them, be on the phone with them um, and support them in putting these races on. People, you know, our, our mission is to grow the sport of bike racing. You can only grow the sport of bike racing if you have great event promoters putting on safe, um, high quality events. That's what our event services team is there for. Now, On top of that, you know, we have a, you're kind of a sanctioning or an insurance uh, side of this as well. We're going to are these event promoters are entrepreneurs and People people like talk about bike racing. They don't like to talk about the fact that event promoters are business people. And maybe they're not trying to make much money. Maybe they're not trying to make any money, but it is a business, even if it's a, a zero profit business. And part of being in business is that if someone crashes and you know, breaks their arm or does something worse, you don't want to lose your house and your life savings because you've decided to put on a bike race, plain and simple. And it's just like any business, you know, you put, you open a restaurant, you know, you do anything. You you start your own you know, cycling coaching business. You have to have insurance. It's just part of life. So we offer that as well. And we've had a lot of success and a lot of traction with gravel event organizers with coming to us. We support them in terms of getting their races off the ground. And we also sanction those events. We, we don't require licenses. Not right now. And we don't, you know, in my to do list, I and mean, here's my, my book with my to do list in it. Nothing in here says, you know, find a way to make it so that people have to have gravel licenses. We, just, I, I am, that's not going to fly in the current gravel environment. We're fairly self aware people here at USA Cycling. And so our gravel strategy has a lot of other things going on. It's very focused on event promoters. How do we support them to the maximum number of high quality, safe events? We're going to put on a gravel national championship that should you know, be complementary to all of the other great, kind of iconic gravel races in the U.S. People love wearing the stars and Strike jersey. And that's the national championship. People want it. We're going to put it on. We're we're figuring that out. We are going to put one on in 2023. Um, you know, we have not nailed down the date and the the venue yet. We're, we we've been close a couple of times, um, and we're close again now and hopefully we're gonna be announcing that pretty soon. We're also gonna take the Gravel World Championships with, a, I would say, a, a, an elevated level of seriousness in 2023 in terms of supporting ours. How cool would it be if Keegan Swenson raced in the Stars and Stripes at Gravel Worlds? I think a lot of people will be pretty interested in what that race would look like. So we're gonna take that process with a good bit um, more focus and more. Re- we're gonna put more resources towards it in 2023 than we were able to do in 2022. And then the other thing is we're going to support with existing events, uh, a a junior and collegiate gravel series, not this year, but this is a 2024 project. We want to build an amazing series that's going to give younger riders a sense of focus and a sense of something to, you know, to build on. Um, Bike racing generally, all disciplines, including gravel, you know, we've got a big demographic problem, which is that you go to your average gravel event and the average person out there is 50 years old and um, they're white and they're male. And and yes, gravel is probably the most diverse, uh, demographically diversified uh, group of people you're going to find in a bike race, but it's it's still not great. And so we were having conversations with some sizable event promoters about how do we how do we solve this together? And what we've discussed is this junior and collegiate gravel series that will, uh, again, give these kids a sense of focus. So if they're racing NICA, you know, if they're racing uh, junior mountain biking fairly seriously, you know, let's, let's give them an opportunity to have a kind of a shiny object to focus on um, through the gravel series as well, or through the gravel season as well. Gravel training, mountain bike training, it's just so complementary, right? It gives you, you know, you can get an endurance base on gravel that's really tough to get on, mountain, with, on a mountain bike. So, um, you know, I look at them as really being hand in glove and I'm excited about what that's going to look like as well. So, you know, our hands are full with gravel. We're excited about where we're going and um, you know, gravel licenses. No, not, I mean, we're not going to dig into that anytime soon. Um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely excited to be more and more engaged with the community.
0: Hmm, very cool. Boy, you covered it all right then and there. So I'm going to switch gears and I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the state of cross.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you yeah, know there's some bright spots. You look at a kid like A.J. August, he's leaving you know, he's, we leave, you know Hooger, Hooger World Championships in 10 or 12 days. Is he a legit contender for World Championship in junior ranks? Absolutely is. Um, you know, he won the the Copenhagen Cross earlier this year solo in Belgium by a minute. I mean, he just, he kicked the daylights out of the best you know, junior men in the world there. He proved he's got the right stuff. He is going to be, you know, he's going to be like the next Magnus Sheffield, the next Tom Pigcock. He is a star in the making uh, and a really good kid too. You look, I mentioned Maddie Monroe earlier, um, you know, women's U-23. She got top 10 at Worlds in Fayetteville last year. Uh, she's gotten some top tens in Elite Women's Cross in Europe this year. I think she could have a breakthrough result. I think Clara, uh, you know, Clara Hossinger is always a threat to have a phenomenal result. So I think she's a good athlete. Um, but, you know, look, I think, um, I, I, I think we are at a crossroads at USA Cycling where we need to figure out how we want to support our talent development and how we want to support our best riders in cyclocross. You know, it's tough because we as the national governing body, we are focused by necessity on disciplines in cycling that are in the Olympic Games. Right? because we get a big part of how we get revenue for our high performance program is from the u.s olympic and paralympic committee what they care about is medals at the olympics they don't care about downhill they don't care about cyclocross they don't care about snow bike they don't care about these other disciplines that are not in the olympics it, it's not that they don't see how maybe those connect to disciplines that are in the olympics but you know it's just like a publicly traded company needs to be focused on quarterly results the USOPC needs to be focused on the metal table, every quad. And so, you know, we, we are in a place where we have, you know, we've done okay with growing investment in Cross. We've got this thing called the MUD Fund that has been super in providing funding for cyclocross programs, but it's not enough money. It's not enough money to move mountains. So we are actually, and I'll share with you, we're at a moment in about, you know, once Worlds is done, you know, we're on a little bit of a strategic vision quest right now with cyclocross, where we as an organization need to decide, do we really want to invest in cross? What is, you know, let's look at 2026, 2027. What do we want the state of American cyclocross to be? Because if we want to build world champions, fact of the matter is, is if you're racing full-time in the United States, you're not going to be competitive in World Cups. You're not going to be competitive at World Championships. You need to love Belgium. You need to love Holland. You need to be there most of the race season, most of the year. you got to immerse yourself in the culture. That's how Jonathan Page did it. That's how J-Pow did it. That's how Tim Johnson did it. You know, there's not a long and storied history of great American cyclocrossers. Um, you know, KFC, the rest, you know, they. how did they do it? They, they went in head first and they never looked back. That is the only way you're going to be successful over there. For those riders to do that, for us to be able to support American riders over there in some decent kind of quantities, because we can't just have three people over there pursuing that dream. We need seven. We need eight. We need 10. They need to be elite. They need to be U23. They need to be junior. It takes money, and that money needs to come from us, and we need to go out and have a great plan that we can work with donors to the MUD Fund on to get them to believe in, to support those kids uh, who, are, who are pursuing that dream. But we don't have that vision yet of what do we want to be in 2027, 2026, 2027. So that's where it starts. That's the process that we're going to go through after Worlds. And we're going to share it with our donors. We're going to share it with our members and we're going to say, let's do it. Let's go for it. But hey, guess what? What this means is our cyclocross budget is going to need to triple. And we need to find that money to support that we can be as ambitious as we want with Team USA, it comes down to money. Um, we're like NPR, we're like PBS, we're like your other favorite, we're like Inba. we're like your favorite local nonprofits. We just rely on the generosity of donors to fund these programs and um, you know, donors want to be able to feel like they are investing in a mission that excites them and inspires them. We've never given them that with Cyclocross. And so it's easy to talk about the Olympics. We know we want to get seven to 10 medals at the Paris 2024 Olympics. Our donors get very excited about that. We know we want to get 12 to 15 medals at the LA 2028 Olympics. But what do we want to do, a cyclocross? Mm. You know, we've never really defined that. So, so that's on us. And that's a project that we're going to knock out of the park in February.
0: Oh, wow. You know, I really appreciate your candor and uh, honesty. Or at least I feel like you're being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I am. You act like you are. You for sure yeah. act like you are. So I appreciate that and and kind of calling it like it is. And uh, I don't know. I you've made me excited about for where USAC currently is and uh, and where we could go. Like LA in twenty twenty eight, it'd be super fun to bring home a whole bunch of medals again. Remember? Could you LR84? imagine? Could
1: you imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, here's 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 how we talk about it internally. Can you imagine? The, the cross-country mountain bike course goes right below, I mean, it's not, they haven't said this, it's just sort of like our dream vision, goes below the Hollywood sign oh, in Los Angeles.
0: Super cool, imagine, iconic.
1: Yeah, could you imagine some American kids who are graduates of NICA, you know, graduates of Fort Lewis or CMU or Milligan, those are the kids that are getting medals in LA-28. I and mean, if you can't get excited about that, you don't, you know, go, go take up lacrosse or something. I mean, it's just like- <laughs> Go you know, watch the Lives Tour. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, this is, for us, this is every day what we dream about uh, when we get up out of bed and we um, you know, we go to work at USA Cycling. That's what we want to make come to life.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So USAC is also a membership organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've been a member since, well, you and I, 1986. Yeah. Do you know your license number off the top of your head? Oh, uh, it's on my phone. <laughs> is it
1: four four nine eight seven six? Is oh I'm dude thinking.
0: i got you beat by like five no four eight eight two three seven uh i beat you by a thousand by yeah a, by about a thousand um i think i
1: might have let my license lap, lapse a couple of years there and i got a new one i think i got the low number is low i gave it up a long time ago so uh, yeah i, I hear I you get it back
0: do you still have your first license
1: the earliest license, I have i know this because there's a slide deck that I have where I found this license and I have a, a deck that I slide deck. in there. 1993 is the oldest license that I kept. But what I do have is when I was a junior in 1988, I, did a, um, I went to a talent ID camp put on by USA Cycling in Lake Placid at the Olympic Training Center there. And I have my ID card from that.
0: So that's oh, probably that's the oldest
1: awesome. relic that I've got.
0: That's cool. My first license, like they actually would put a sticker on there and write your results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a good spring my very first year, so I I kept it with the sticker and the signatures That's so on there cool. and all that. I forgot yeah, about the kind stickers. Of
1: That's so rad. Yeah. Yep. totally. Yep.
0: Little uh, USCF sticker. Do you remember the stick? Yeah. The that was an iconic sticker as well. The US. How many times have you said USCF in your working there ever? Or has it transitioned uh, no, I think well?
1: Again, we throw. We, you know what the one we say more often that we're excited about is Norba. Oh, um, sure. Be, so we are one thing we are working on is so USCF less, um, but Norba is one that people are very fond of, and so we are working on trying to create again with we're in partnership with existing cross country races. We want to bring back something like the Norba National Series. Oh, wow! Uh, we want to we want to make it so it will be a thing again, where you can be a domestic mountain bike pro or an aspiring domestic mountain bike pro. We wanna have a series, we wanna have a unified series prize purse. Uh, We wanna make it so that you can really live the dream in the US of being a mountain bike pro. And as we've talked about that, and this is probably gonna come to life in 2023. And as we've talked about it internally, I wanna call it the Norva National Series, bring back the old logo. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of good vibes if we did that.
0: Uh, absolutely be some good vibes. Um, so how does somebody become involved w- with, uh, USA cycling, racing, yeah, not racing, yeah. members, non-members? A couple
1: of ways to be involved. You know, if you're interested in racing, um, you know, become a member. Um, you get a lot of great information that comes with that. A lot of great support. You can race in sanctioned races. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of benefit both in terms of access to events and, and access to, information that will help you on your learning journey as a new um as a new member we're getting better and better at having uh i would say coherent results and rankings so you can see how you're improving over time compared to other similar racers out there uh, that's been a, a, a long-standing project for USAC that we're finally getting some momentum on and then if you're less interested in racing but you want to be supportive um you know, we're a non and we are very very reliant on donors Uh, That money goes to fund two things. It goes to fund programming to create opportunities for people to race. Um, It's to support local race organizers, support local associations. It's to make it so racing can really come to life in your local community. That's just one general set of objectives that we have. And then the other one is support of our athletes um, as they drive towards World Championship and and Olympic goals. So that's, that's where the funding goes um your you know, foundation is very generous we do a fairly good job raising money people love the sport and we're very grateful for that and um yeah so you get involved in either of those ways and we would be really grateful um because man we're turning ourselves inside out trying to grow the sport in the u.s trying to support these amazing athletes and um but yeah it takes money
0: well listen uh, somebody with passion and history like you at the helm i feel like usac is in good hands and, uh, thank you. I hope you so. Know, moving <laughs> onward and upward, we hope. We're trying.
1: We're not going to fail for a lack of effort. I can tell you that. Right <laughs> no now. doubt,
0: I can sense that. Well, I will look forward to seeing you on the trails of Bentonville or Fayetteville or or uh, some Love gravel it. road somewhere. And uh, go USA. Let's do it. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Brendan so much for spending an hour with us and for being so open and willing to talk about the future of our sport. As you've just heard i've been a member of usa cycling or uscf that's the united states cycling federation since 1986 and it's been an important part of my life ever since so it really was a treat to talk to the guy at the helm now if you want to get involved with usa cycling you can join as a racer or just join as a rider and help support the growth of cycling and hopefully see some stars and stripes being raised at the Olympics in Paris and especially L.A. And I want to thank you, too, for tuning into Bike Talk with Dave. I'd welcome you to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And, of course, please share it with your friends. And if you would like to support the show financially, you can look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com or keep things simple and hit me up on Venmo at david-mabel. If you do, I'll send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. And I will use your support to help improve the podcast. There's a link to buy me a coffee in the show notes. Before I go, I also need to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com is the one-stop shop with an incredible event calendar, as well as news information and trails in Iowa and around the Midwest. If you are an event director, get your event on this calendar. It's easy to do. Just create an account, log in, and then you can add and edit your information. It's an easy way to reach thousands of cyclists, and it won't cost you a dime. One of the races you might find on BikeIowa.com is the Driftless 100, a challenging scenic gravel race through the wooded hills of northeast Iowa on April 29th, starting in the town of El Cater. I'll be there with the iowa gravel gang and i can't wait to ride with him i had a chat with the director of the race recently let's check that out
2: um my name is matt fastfinder um, i am the director of the driftless 100 in Elkader, iowa uh, that gravel race uh, starts and ends in Elkader, and it starts on uh, april 29th um, that's a saturday And we have a 100, a 60, and a 30, 30 30-ish. I think when I looked at it, it's probably a 35-mile route. Um, But it is 90 to 95% gravel for each of those, so there's not really much pavement. Um, And there's not really much Level B. It's one of those where, because of the time of year, we try and shy away from having too many Level B roads because they get so muddy, and uh, nobody really wants to replace their derailleur in April of the season. Um, that's just one of those things we try to avoid. What's the origin of the race?
0: What what does the dripless region mean? What is that? And uh, how'd you guys come up with the race? How did you come up with the race?
2: So it was one of those where I've, since I've lived around here um, most of my life, I see just how beautiful it is. And that um, it's one of those that it offers a lot of Uh, different it's a different course and it's a different type of gravel than about anywhere because it's going to be different than the mountains because it's not sustained climbs it's not the same type of um, the same type of climbing it's not consistent in the climbing and you get but you don't get kind of the rollers either where you get uh, where you can have momentum into them and where you can kind of see where you're going you never really see where you're going out here. We really, this was a perfect opportunity for us to kind of showcase what the driftless area is. Uh, And for people who are active and who like to bike and who like to get out there, this was, um, this was one of those opportunities. So this is not Iowa flat. (laughs) No, this is, um, this is not Iowa flat. And it's, uh, it's one of those where you're either going up or you're going down. Like the, Kind of our motto with it is it's 10K up and it's 10K down. For wow. Like you're going to be going up for 10,000 and down for 10,000. And yeah, it's um, it's tough. And it's one of those that we get people from uh, all, all parts of the state and uh, Illinois, Minnesota, and they come in and they just, they are surprised. Um, and, you know, we, we display it like it is, it is hilly. You'll have a lot of climbing. But when you actually get out there and you see, like your Garmin suddenly says 15% grade, it has some rollers, it has your big climbs, it has curvy descents. Um, that time of year, you'll have a little bit of peanut butter gravel. You'll have some chunky stuff where they try and fill in. Hopefully we don't have snow, but, you know, that that's part of the adventure.
0: Uh, so remind me again of the, uh, the date, the distances, and where can people find information?
2: Yep. Uh, Driftless 100 is April 29th. Um, we have a 100, a 60, and a 30-mile race. Um, our website is driftlessgravel.com, um, and we have a bike reg, bike reg registration going on right now, um, and that is open till about a week before the race. Awesome.
0: Well, I uh, am looking forward to seeing you there, and it really is a beautiful area.
2: So driftlessgravel.com. It's, it's tough, but it's exciting, and it's, it's beautiful.
0: I want to thank Matt for coming on to tell us about his race. Now, I'm going to go brew another cup of chain and spoke coffee. I've got a bag of the Brap blend that I've been enjoying this month. It's their signature espresso blend, but I've been enjoying it as a drip, and it is equally delicious as a pour-over. And it's available for any of you by ordering at chainandspoke.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We've got lots of great episodes coming up, including Mark West, mechanic for the Steve Tilford Foundation cyclocross team, Fabian Sarralta, I'm working on rolling my R's, director of the Gravel Locos races. And later this winter, we'll talk with Matt Phippen, director of the annual bike ride across Iowa called Ragbri, And now that we know the route, we will be talking about plans to celebrate the 50th edition of this iconic ride. So be sure and subscribe and follow Bike Talk with Dave on Instagram and Facebook so you don't miss a thing. We'll see you next week and enjoy the ride.